Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim Tierney and Danny Shapiro, where we explore the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. So you went with our full names, huh, Tim? That's right. <laughs> I did. Pretty weird. I <laughs> catch you off You're guard. a weird guy. <laughs> Tim Tierney and Danny Shapiro. <laughs> it's kind of jarring when you hear somebody say their own name, especially their full name, first and last. Yeah, together. It does sound a little strange. Yeah, I guess you could argue that that's maybe the purest form of the the pronunciation someone saying their own name i guess so i mean it's the most is, accurate way to do it this is a, one of the more bizarre tim rabbit holes i've gone down but <laughs> you know it's something i've thought of in the past and i'm happy to share it with you this is what keeps you up at night i don't know if you're on board with me <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny in the context of the podcast i think it sounds more normal but in real life when people introduce themselves and say their full name it always is jarring to yeah, me. Yeah, especially when you've read the person's name and you don't know and you've had to guess or you've been saying it in your head. That's different. It's like when you learn a kind of novel word through reading and then you hear someone say it and you're like, ooh, that's not what I was reading. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that's like, yeah, Hermione or something like that. Yeah, we should have people um, say their own name. Yeah. Because it's pure. Yeah, so pure. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I picked up a moped an old moped last night and um picked it up. i had to drive like, <laughs> Sorry, a, like such a quick transition here. Sorry. It had me thinking around. of pronunciations, but it, <laughs> it's an old um it's an old pook um hmm. from 1980s is old moped How are you spelling that? It's P U C H pook. Huh. And I picked it up from the guy and he's like he's like, "Yeah, I don't know anything about it." He's like, "I bought a lake house and this was in the garage. It came with it." He's like, "I tried to to learn about pucks and uh why would it not be pooch?" A pook. Well, I'll, we'll get to that. Um, and he's like, he's like, he's like, I, don't, I tried to learn as much as I could about a puck before selling it. He's like, it turns out they're uh, they're made in Australia, and that's really all I know. And in my mind, I'm like, well, it's pook, and it's made in Austria, not Australia. <laughs> but of course, I was like, yeah, I don't know anything about them either. Yeah, you're like, I don't know anything. It's probably worth what five bucks? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> five, maybe four, four cash. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, anyway, moving on. Yeah, we've got we've got an exciting episode this week. We've got I think it's our first fourth generation guest. Yeah, that might be true. We have Dan Raskin of Manny's Delicatessen. Yeah, it was pretty cool to have him in. Uh, It's a real institution uh, in Chicago's culinary landscape. Tim and I have eaten there many a time. Many times. It's one of the last like true cafeteria style restaurants. Yeah. Where you like grab your tray, you load it up, and you pay at the end. Definitely one of the most, the longest running, you know, consistently operated, probably. Yeah. Yeah. It dates back to, was I guess. 42 is the look. It started in 42, right? Yeah. And I think they they moved around a couple times. Their last location. They've been in that location since, I think, 64, 65, something like that. Yeah. But yeah, it was cool to hear his story of uh, carrying on the tradition, uh, maybe uh, taking some pivots during COVID and figuring it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, Dan's like, like purely a Manny's employee. Like he's, (laughs) I think that's the only job he's really ever had other than like maybe something in college. He lives it. He graduated college and just moved into the family business. Lives it, eats it, breathes it. Yeah. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Dan Raskin. So welcome into the studio. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you know, you kind of grew up in the business. You didn't really have a choice. 
I did. No, I he did. had a choice. <laughs> I didn't have a choice working in the beginning, but full time, I, I definitely had. Yeah. A choice. How early did you start working in the restaurant? I used to go with my grand, like my dad used to take off on Saturdays when I was like 13, 14. And, uh, I would drive downtown with, I lived, grew up in the suburbs. So I would drive down with my grandma and, uh, she would bring me to work and bring me home. And that, that's how it started. Like just during the summers or what, what was going on? Um, it was like weekends. Like if I wasn't, I, I played sports, but if I wasn't playing like a sport that Saturday, I would always come to work. Did you enjoy going down? Or up, I don't know which. Where, we, where were you coming up. from? Yeah. Uh, I grew up in Deerfield. Okay, so cool. From the north suburbs. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was awesome. Um, I, I obviously didn't have the responsibilities then, so it was yeah. a, a little easier. But I knew from probably the time I was in high school that this is what I wanted to do. Hmm. Cool. And did you always get to just kind of eat whatever you wanted when you were there with your grandma? I did. My my grandma was uh like. She used to give us a hard time about eating the more expensive things, though, which is interesting. But then I would find that, like, she was taking them home. So. <laughs> <laughs> what were the high-ticket items at the uh, time? It was, like, random stuff sometimes. Like, I remember, like, I, I was uh, a, a White Sox fan. Yeah. And uh, I remember, like, we had, like, some Frank Thomas candy bar when I was a kid. And Oh, the I, Big I, Hurt? I, yeah, the Big Hurt. So <laughs> I wanted to take, I, I wanted that, and my grandma was like, we have to stick to the regular ones, not that kind. It's like, okay. And then, and then like that, like Dr. Brown's cream soda. She was like, yeah, we always drink the fountain soda, but then I'd get to her house and she'd have like tons of Dr. Brown's at her house. So <laughs> Graham was squirreling I, I, away I at the Dr. Thought, Brown's. I always thought it was funny, but no, I always ate whatever like a tea I want. Story. My favorite Dr. Brown's is the celery. Yeah. Oh, really? A little acquired. The celery. celery. Yeah. 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 We definitely did the cream soda growing up. It was always a treat. Yeah. Um, and then what were the, like, what were the, uh, the savory items that you'd eat? So growing up, whenever my parent, like when I was real little, my parents would go out almost every Saturday night for dinner. That was like their, their thing. And my dad would always bring home like one big order of beef stew and one big order of spaghetti. Hmm. And that's like, I was one of four kids and that's just a big pan of stew and a big pan of spaghetti. And that's what we shared every Saturday night. So Were they would, going out in Deerfield or downtown? I honestly don't even know. Oh. I, I, just, I just knew that like <laughs> just gone. Every, every Saturday night we had a babysitter and, and my dad would come home from work with the big pan. And back in those days, it was like the old school foil pans. Yeah. And uh, catering tray. Yeah. But since they knew it was for us going home, it was just like filled to the brim with everything. And was it enough for all four of you guys? Yeah, I mean, but like we all grew up with it. So it was like a normal thing to have this big order of beef stew and yeah. and, and spaghetti and meat sauce every, every Saturday. Do you still love those things? I do, yeah. But, <laughs> but I, I've kind of like graduated to like more items on the menu. I mean, the, yeah. those are, I think those are like staples that, that I will always like, but now I'll, I'll try almost anything on the menu. Oh, so these were Manny's dishes yeah. they were bringing home? Oh, yeah. okay. So they must have been going downtown. Yeah. Well, my dad would come home from work. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. So, so he would he'd like, he'd drop like the food and then be like, bye kids, we're yeah. going out for the night. Yeah, like yeah. he'd come home and he'd, he'd bring that for us and... And that's what we had for dinner. <laughs> nice. So where do you fit in on the four kids? Um, I'm the second oldest. Second oldest. And are you the only one who works there? I'm the only one in the business now. Where are the other three? Um, my older brother um, is in like sto store planning. My younger brother's running his wife's family business in mm. Dayton, Ohio. Okay. And my sister's in marketing. She's in the Chicago area. Nice. All close, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we're all, we all see each other. Um, they... They all had the opportunity to go into business, and after working in it, they just knew it wasn't for them. So they all had, like, a tenure 
and, and moved on. Yeah, I mean... Like, I guess they all started at 13, 14. Yeah, we all basically worked through college. Yeah. So we we would work on week... Like, high school, um, for sure, we'd work. Um, and back then, we were only open on Saturdays. We weren't open on Sundays yet. Okay. So we all had to work on Sunday, Saturdays if it wasn't, like, a sport and season at that time. And then um, in college, when we were home for the summers, uh, if you were not a camp counselor, you were working at the restaurant. Okay. And at what point did people encourage you to pursue it? Like you said, you knew in high school, but were there my, my, family nobody members? ever nobody ever like wanted us to say like you have to do this, which I think was the good thing. Um, it was more of my dad said that if we wanted to work there, we had to go to school. So I was like ready to go to work right after high school. I was like, oh, this is cool. I'll just live in the city and work. My dad's like, no, you got to go to college. And I was like, all right. And then the more I was thinking about it, my brother actually was at DePaul at the time. He's like, don't stay in Chicago. He's like, you'll just work. He's like, you won't have fun. He's like, dad will want you to come to work at like six in the morning on yeah. Saturday and you won't be able to go out Friday nights or you'll come to work and you'll hate it. So I, I went to school at Bradley and Peoria. Okay. And then uh, literally graduated next day. I was at work full time. What, what did you wow. study? Uh, business and marketing. Okay. So is that in preparation to work for the family business? Yeah. In hindsight, I guess I mean, probably. I mean, I was interested in those things. I, I kind of just was like fortunate that I was going to college and knew what I was going to do. So mm-hmm. it, it almost didn't matter. I could have done anything. Um, I, I, I always say the things I learned most in college was how to work with people from different backgrounds. Yeah. Um, growing up in the suburbs, you have a lot of people with the same background, so you don't really mm-hmm. know too many different types of people. But when you go to school, and Bradley wasn't huge, but you have people coming from all over. So you learned a lot of different types of people. How they grew up was definitely different than me. So you just learn how to like work with them and, and become more, more cultured. Yeah, which I think would be beneficial at the restaurant as well because it pulls from a lot of different areas. It's a yeah. diverse clientele. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely big for that. And it was surprising. There was a lot of people who knew of the restaurant that I would have never have thought that yeah. they, they knew of the restaurant. And uh, Well, yeah, it's an institution at this point. So let's let's go back and talk a little bit about the history of the restaurant, where it started. So my great-grandfather, Jack Raskin, and his brother, Charlie, purchased a delicatessen in Rogers Park in in the early 40s. And they they were just immigrants here. They were trying to to do a little bit more than they were doing, and they knew that the restaurant business, if you did it right, was... It's good business to be in. So they bought a deli not knowing anything about it, and they were just like Jewish immigrants. And uh, they just so happened to buy one that was in a neighborhood that was changing, and that's why it was for sale. So it it wasn't doing very well. So the demographic was changing from Jewish to... um, It it was in West Rogers Park, which was like, it was a Jewish, like, reformed conservative area to become yeah. more orthodox which is what, close to like what, skokie which has a really high yeah but, Sco- but right? the people in west rogers park were moving up to skokie yeah so they it was becoming just more religious like coach a lot of kosher people were in mm-hmm. the neighborhood now so it was not a great spot anymore so they ended up moving um a few times and then we ended up being in the neighborhood we're in from like the the late the mid 50s on and then in this location since 65 okay but, so um, there was another South Loop location? Um, two mm. other ones. We were actually in Greektown at one point for a oh, little wow. bit. And then Roosevelt <clears throat> and Halstead, it was like 825 West Roosevelt for a little bit. Hmm. And then in 1965, we opened up in the current location. And that's really where the business kind of took off. There was a lot of people don't realize it, but there was a lot of restaurants that were similar, uh, cafeteria style, Eastern European deli food. And a lot of them were just 
closing up because their kids didn't want to go into business. Hmm. So um, it was obviously tough to own a restaurant. And what was tough about the kids not wanting to do it? Like just in terms of the labor costs? I think a lot of them were just educated and they wanted to be doc more professional. Oh, sorry, but why couldn't they have it be run by not family members? Family business, Danny. Tradition. Yeah, I, I think it's more of the this type of business when it's a smaller independent restaurant like that. They're they're typically either sold to someone or or just end up closing. And, and yeah. these ones were closing. I mean, they it, like in the mid '60s, like a lot of things were changing, and I don't know. I like I, I really don't know the exact background story of of the other places, but yeah. Um, that was one of the reasons why we survived and the other ones didn't is that their their kids just didn't want that wanted to go into business so the parents sold or closed yeah, yeah. and from the mid 60s on were you guys successful yeah i mean it, i don't think it was easy but they there was a, a more famous place across the street from us at the time called roosevelt coffee shop and they had closed down and a lot of the employees came to work for us and and then that place was very established, really knew what they were doing, and that's that's really where it started. And by that time, my grandfather Manny was running the business, and uh, he the namesake. Yeah, so so <laughs> it's, it's a funny story how it happened. Was that one of the locations that they ended up opening in uh, was a grocery store called Sunny's before, and they built out the restaurant basically themselves and they didn't have enough money to change the whole sign so they were like let's just name it after manny <laughs> two letters yeah they literally changed the first two letters of the sign and it was smart so it's a very cool story yeah and it's lucky that manny ended up being such a great employee of the business as well yeah so um he actually unfortunately passed away when he was pretty young but my okay. dad was in the business ready and my dad took it over and he basically ran it himself from 1983 till um but I, I've been in the business for like 18 years now. So, so we've, we've ran it together. And then he basically took a step back, like right when the pandemic started, he was like, right before he was like, we made a plan that I was going to take it over. And I was like, Oh, this is great. And then right when I take it we'll over, the pandemic hits. And I was, like, <laughs> oh, no. I was like, this is good. And my dad's like, well, do you want to change the deal? And I was like, dad, I just got you to sell it to me. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I don't need to, uh, I don't want to go back in the deal. I'll figure it out. So <laughs> So it was super stressful. But, oh my god! I mean, he, the good thing was is that the transfer of the business, and he's still involved with me. But the transfer was when he was still around. You know, yeah. Like I, I definitely think it was much harder for him that his dad suddenly passed away, and then he was just like forced to take it over. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like all the time I have questions, and I just call my dad. Like if I'm not if I'm out of town or something, he'll come to work. So it's you know I if I think about it, that's like the best way to do something is, for sure is like on your own terms and not on something. Bad yeah. Do you think that had your grandfather not passed away young, do you think your dad would have ended up in a different line of work or do you think he would have stayed with Manny's? <sighs> I, I really, my dad wanted to do something else and then yeah. he changed his mind. And I've heard stories from my parents like that, he didn't like how his dad was doing stuff. And I was like, well, I didn't like how you did stuff. So, <laughs> so who knows? Like, I, I don't really know. I, I, I definitely think that it helped us to be able to concentrate on one place that, that there wasn't multiple people in the business. Cause mm -hmm. I think when there's too many people, you're, you're looking for more and more and trying to grow too much. And you, I feel like most restaurants close, start having financial issues and closing when they open at multiple location and some's not doing well. Yeah. So, Have you guys been approached for a franchise deal? We were in the airport for a long time mm -hmm. and that was a license deal. And yeah. 
I, I like doing things like that, that that are a little more controlled and, and finite. Yeah, and the risks are not the same. You're not signing the long lease somewhere, and mm-hmm. and you're basically taking your greatest hits, and it's in the airport, and it's it's pretty standard. Um, yeah, I mean, we're approached daily, weekly to with every everyone trying to open up a, a business, like a new building somewhere. Are we interested in going in? Right. And I definitely think that our formula for for working it is works really well for one place and. Like why why mess up something that's good? Yeah. So in eighteen years, what has your role progression been? Where did you start, and then what were the steps that got you to eventual? What's your title now? Um, I'm owner. Owner. Yeah. So, I, when I first started at the restaurant, I was basically a manager um, out of college. Before mm-hmm. that, I did every job. Like I cleaned yeah. tables, I washed dishes, I served soup, and like I remember as a little kid, people making fun of me. The guys in the line, it was like a gas heat um cafeteria at that time and it, the plates and like the spoons everything was just so hot that i'd sit there and like have a thing of ice cubes right next to it before i <laughs> grabbed the spoon because it was like gonna like you'd sit there and the spoon would be melting to your hand as, as you're like pouring <laughs> the soup and you're like this is terrible and that's just how it was but those guys hands were from doing it all day were like, like over. Yeah. So, so it didn't matter um so like i did all those types of jobs but by the time I was out of school, I was ready to, to jump in and take over as a manager. And my brother was actually working there until, like, the day that I was ready to join. He was, like, waiting for me to start so he could quit. Oh. He, was like, he, was, he was like, I hate this. He's like, I, I got to get out of here. And so, <laughs> so he took a new job, like, literally the same day that I started. Um, he was just, like, helping my dad out so we didn't have to hire another manager until until I got there. Bridging and, the gap. Yeah. And then uh, I had another, my younger brother ended up working with me for a while, but... Yeah, so I came in as a manager, and uh, like literally my first day, uh, I asked someone to do something. They said no, and they happened to be there for a long time. So, I called up my dad. I'm like, "What do I do?" I'm like, "I'm like, I've never really had this problem like this." And he's like, "Let the guy go." And I was like, "All right." So, like my first day, first time I asked somebody to do something, I had to fire him. Oh my god! Wow. So, so it wasn't fun, but it was. I knew what I had to do. And was he just testing you? You think? Yeah, I mean, he he. All, I had asked him to do something that he normally didn't do, and he didn't want to do it. And he just didn't know if I was just going to walk away from him and let him do what he wanted to do. Yeah. And I mean, that's not who I was. And and like normally, my dad didn't put me in that kind of position when I was growing up in the business. It was just like he gave me a task to do, it and that was it. And the restaurant kind of ran itself. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so I let the guy go and. Ever since then, I, I think I had the respect of people because they were they knew that if they weren't going to do their job, I was not going to let them tell me what they were going to do. Yeah, you were <laughs> messing around. Who's the longest tenured employee right now? Um, so we have one guy. His name's Ozzy. He's uh, been there for I think like forty four years. Forty five wow. years. Wow. So a lot of people think Gino's been there the longest. The guy who makes the sand, known as the sandwich guy, but mm-hmm. um, Ozzy's been there longer. So that's pretty cool. Huh. And like, so, okay. So in the mid sixties, it starts to take off seemingly stumbled upon a successful concept, family business. At what point does the corned beef kind of become the star? So those were always kind of the, the main, um, known things is just Jewish deli. So everyone thinks corned beef pastrami. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we're actually really known for before was the hot entrees that, that if you come to the restaurant a lot and, and you're not just a once a year, twice a year person, like you start to get the beef stew, like the daily specials. And, and that's what a lot of the, we had so many regulars from the neighborhood we were in. Um, it used to be like a, it was all like Jewish owned merchants that, that were looking. And then everything basically south and west of us, there was nowhere to eat. Everything was just like, 
not good neighborhoods or it was just empty. So a lot of people were driving to us because we were basically the closest place that they could get to. Um, they had good food that that was had parking they can get in and out yeah yeah it was it, your location now was kind of part of like the garment district back in the day yeah another you know schmata trade rag business which is what i'm in because i would always go there when i would go down to fishman's fabrics it was right. like i'd go grab a sandwich and fishman's are still there yeah they, they are but there's like isaac's over there there's a vogue fabrics a lot of them moved out right but, uh, Fish, i think fishman's is the last one still there yeah i mean a lot of those were same thing happened there multiple generation businesses the next generation didn't want to do it or mm-hmm. and they they closed up yep it's the same with um like the tradition of supper clubs up in wisconsin is it's usually generational and that's why there are so many closing that and the other thing that was like hard hitting to them was um cracking down on drunk driving in wisconsin <laughs> like the supper clubs were hit very hard people get that. ripped and then just ripped at the club long way yeah. um, hmm. no, no uber up there i guess <laughs> not, <laughs> this episode of joiners is brought to you by stock manufacturing makers of fine hospitality workwear You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. So when you took over, like right at the beginning of the pandemic, what uh, did you guys go into like uh, panic mode or like, what did you guys, how did you guys, how were you affected and what was your plan to kind of bridge, bridge that? Uh... I mean, obviously nobody really knew what was going on. Yeah. I was like, Oh, this is going to be a few weeks. We'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, right away when they were like, okay, we have to close the dining room. I was like, Oh, what do I do? And I was like, okay, uh, where, where do our customers live? And where, and I lived in the suburbs. So I was like, there's gotta be people in the suburbs that want food. So I, I like posted on Facebook that one day I was like, Hey, anyone wants some mayonnaise? I'm going to bring it home with me. Um, just call it, call in your order, email to me and I'll drop it off on my way home thinking I might get like five or six orders. <laughs> and little did I realize that all of a sudden it's like about time to, to leave. And I go out to say to my staff, I'm like, okay, you guys have the orders. I'm ready to go. They're like, what do you mean? They're like, there's like 85 orders here. <laughs> and they're like, we're not even close to done. And so I was like, oh my God, I'm like, these people order this for dinner tonight and I'm, they're trying to help me out because I said business was slow and I'm just going to bring stuff over. So I ended up like rushed through the orders, got them done. And then I made a deal with my dad at the beginning and I was like, dad, we're not going to work together because if one of us gets sick, then the other one's going to get sick. So you just Uh stay home anyway. And that, that, to me, that was the best way to make him not work. (laughs) What was to get him to stay home? Cause he was... I mean, forever, he just worked like 100 hours a week and never mm. left. Yeah. So for, for him to like stay home was hard. And uh, so I was like, Dad, I need you to meet me, and we're going to have to split these deliveries, and you're going to have to help me make them. So I ended up making all the deliveries with my dad, and I think we were done maybe by like 9 o'clock at night. And the second it got dark, it was like impossible. You couldn't read. I was in all these neighborhoods. I had no idea where I was, and I couldn't see house addresses, and it was just like it was pretty bad. Um, and after that, I kind of like realized that there was a demand for it. So I set up a program to, to be delivering to the suburbs, but organized instead of just nice. having re- too many orders come in and not what did, knowing what to do. What did that system look like? Um, I found a parking lot of an office building that Smart. I knew they weren't leaving, going to be using for a while. And I was just like 
twice a week. I was taking 50 orders at a time and having people pick up. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to do this in another suburb. So I just kept finding different suburbs to do it in. And it was super successful. Like people loved it. Um, it was keeping all my staff working, which at the time I was like, Hey, these people have been with me for a long time. I was like, what are they supposed to do? I'm like, they don't have money to like not work. And, and I was like, I need them to work too. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, I'm going to just keep trying to get orders, do whatever I can to keep business going. And it worked for a long time. Um, basically until, restaurants reopened yeah. in those cities and then people were like hey this is kind of inconvenient that i'm coming to a random parking lot at the time you're <laughs> telling me to come here <laughs> so um about the same time there was a company that was starting in the suburbs that i think saw what i was doing and was like hey we're, we're gonna build a business and they kept calling me and asking if i wanted to join them and have them help me with it and i was like no this is great i'm doing fine on my own i don't need your help and then mm -hmm. Once it started slowing down, I was like, okay, I need your help now. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to be driving out to the suburbs. Like, like I was, I mean, I was working more during the first year of the pandemic than I did in my whole life. Like I yeah, was waking up. thrown into the deep end. Yeah. And I worked every day. Like everyone else we knew was like working from home. My wife was like trying to homeschool our kids and take care of my daughter at the same time. It was just like, we didn't know what to do. And I was like driving to suburbs, driving back downtown, then driving back out to the suburbs, like almost every day, just filling my car. And uh, so once things kind of settled down, then I, uh, I I was able to I joined that company, and I was like, okay, we'll we'll, we'll work together. And I kind of helped them out a little bit. I said these things work really well for me. But I'm like, I started getting kicked out of parking lots once things started opening up. So I'm like, you can't be, I'm like, you can't just tell them a random parking lot and have them show up and get kicked out. So, I mean, between the two of us, it worked out, and we're still doing this stuff today. So, so the business you partnered with, is that is their draw that they're bringing food from the city out to the suburbs? Yes. Okay. So what are the restaurants? Du it's called Dwell Social. So they're, they're okay. pretty big these days. They they work with, like, a lot of lettuce restaurants, mm. like Elite. They're, there's yeah. like a ton of I restaurants think, they're yeah. working with. I think the pandemic showed a lot of downtown restaurants that there is demand out in the suburbs. And I think it's cool that that infrastructure remains right and people I, are still able to get the I, I think they they've had to adopt their model a little bit like before it was people came to them and now they really have to bring it to people because people's lives are busy they don't have time right. to to do that kind of stuff so they're like making home deliveries now and i mean people who want it will pay the extra money and they'll get it so yeah it works so once things kind of returned to normal places started opening again then did you have some initiatives you wanted to take on to modernize the business um I haven't changed too much since the pandemic really ended. It's more of like the staffing itself has really like been the biggest challenge still. Yeah. Um, making sure that our staff is trained the right way and doing things the right way. But how do you ensure that? Just paying attention. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things is like wor worker compensation is, is I think we pay like 35% more now than we did five years ago. Hmm. So hmm. it's, I mean, just trying to pay people to stay and trying to be, I mean, our whole, I feel like our workplace environment, I've tried to do a lot of things differently than my dad did is that my dad was just like, uh, they're workers, you're the boss and they're just going to march to whatever you need to do. And it's more of like a, it's, it's a harder challenge these days. So like you're trying to reward people and I mean, just the cost of everything to, to try to make people happy is, is harder. Right. On top of food costs rising, yeah. yeah, it's a lot thrown at you. So were there things that while you were growing up, <clears throat> besides maybe your dad's relationship with the workers, but things that you saw while you were growing up that you were like, When I'm in charge, 
I'm going to change this, 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 and this. Um, there were some things. I mean, we did a big remodel like eight years ago, like knowing that eventually I was going to take it over. So like I basically picked out every single thing that I wanted to do. And it was really important to make everything look very similar so that it didn't look like we were a big modern restaurant. Yeah. But it really helped us so that from working... I mean, we basically just kept adding on little pieces to the restaurant and the original cafeteria line that we bought in 65 that was in the restaurant still until eight years ago was a used piece of equipment. So, <laughs> so I mean, everything was so worn and, and that kind of stuff, just the, the conveniences of, of having some of the newer stuff was, is really nice. I mean, obviously now that it's eight years old, like everything is going bad. Mm-hmm. So, so it's uh, <laughs> a lot of repair bills these days, but it, it's just you just try to make things more friendly and even still, I'm still learning a lot about equipment. I mean, everything that we had was just basic, basic, basic and always did it the same way. And now all of a sudden I'm like, Oh wow, that piece of equipment like keeps the food so much nicer. I got to get something like that. Yeah. So, but like, you just don't know anything because we've always done it one way Sure. and we've had a lot of the same staff for so long. So they don't know any different either because they've always just worked for us. So to, usually the way you learn about something is like someone else's work experience somewhere else. Yeah. Exposure. Yeah. So, and you don't like in the restaurant business, you don't get to like take this giant piece of equipment and and just try it for a few days and see if you (laughs) like it. It's like, you got to either buy it or not buy it. So it's, it's, those are like the bigger changes that are behind the scene things that you can do to make the food better um, without, without the customers realizing it. It's changing. Yeah. So has the menu stayed relatively the same for a long period of time? The menu has basically been the exact same with the exception of certain items, just people stop ordering. Yeah. Um, like we used to serve like veal breast. That was yeah. like a stuffed veal breast that had like bread stuffing in it. And it was delicious. It was really good. But when people come and order it, they think of veal and they think of like a, like veal marsala or something and it's real lean and beautiful little pieces and veal breast is like the fattiest piece of meat you could Mm -hmm. possibly eat and people would take it and it has like one little piece on the top that's like lean and they'd like eat two bites of that and then they'd be like the rest is fat it's disgusting and and then they'd return and i'm like well that's exactly what a veal breast is and then i think after like maybe like two years of people just returning it constantly yeah you're like i'm done with this. i mean there was like the older customers that would love it and and then they'd keep coming back for it but then like every person we'd got to the point that we would ask people if they knew what they were getting before they even ordered it which is kind of like rude to the you got to sign the veal waiver yeah and i was like uh, that item's gone. Show them a picture of it. Yeah, I was like, that item is gone. I'm like, we, we can't serve this anymore. I'm like, people just don't understand what it is. Um, but like recently, like tongue, even though like I would say like in tacos and that type of stuff, like, yeah. it's still super popular. But like people are not coming to us for that item. So like tongue is, is starting the. We took it off one day, so now we only have it one day. It used to be two days a week. Um, th- there's things like that that are not as mainstream that people are still not eating, but. Some of the items we had forever that were not mainstream are now mainstream. So, like, we've always had short ribs on our menu and oxtails and things like that. And those are, like, the hip thing that hmm. everyone has. Not yeah. So, it's it's a normal if, Yeah. If someone's coming in there for the first time, let's say, what are you instructing them to get? Um, matzo ball soup, corned beef pastrami combo. Okay. Do you prefer the corned beef over the pastrami? I like the pastrami, but I think... Chicago's Midwest and Midwest pastrami is, or corned beef is way more popular. It's, start, it's been changing a lot over the last like 10 years, but 
I, I think it's a great way to to try both items, and and they really complement each other well. So pastrami's much richer; it's fattier. So the the corned beef is usually much leaner. So when you eat them together, it's like a great mix. Is the thickness of both the same? Like, are they sliced the same? Yeah, we slice them both thin. Okay. And what is the main difference between the two? Is it the cut? Um, It's the cut, and it's also the spices. So they're both brined. Um, The pastrami is a navel, so it's like the belly. Okay. Uh, It's basically like a beef bacon almost. And then um, the the corned beef is a whole brisket. And then the they're both brined, but the pastrami has a, a rub on the outside that's like a brown sugar peppery rub but it's not spicy at all okay proprietary yeah yeah (laughs) don't ask danny of course yeah um when did those recipes all get locked in like back in so so we always kind of had the jewish jewish pastrami and jewish corned beef has always had a very similar profile i mean if you go in new york you go to chicago everywhere it's like they're more mild than like if you go get pastrami at a barbecue place, obviously it's going to be super smoked and it's going to have mm-hmm. a ton of flavor or like sometimes a barbecue pl- place will be like super peppery, but in Jewish food has always just been more mild. So I would say that especially like corned beef too, like Irish corned beef has tons of garlic in there and, and you're probably burping it up for two days. Um, <laughs> Jewish corned beef is, is not like that. And that's one of the things that you can sit down you can have a giant sandwich and you're tired, but you're not, have indigestion all day from, from eating it. So, so you can still go back to work, <laughs> but, um, I, I, I just think that they, that's just like what Jewish delis are known for. And, and that's what people always wanted. So I just learned about the tradition of the dairy restaurant. Yeah. So that's kosher. To, yeah. That's kosher stuff. So, um, but like back in, cause I went to, uh, it was an eye eaters event and I had never heard of that. Cause they're like, like, that's why they're the Jewish delis. Cause it was like meat in one place and then dairy in another. Right. And they did a, like a very dairy while well, it was all dairy heavy, uh, Dana Cree put it together. It was good, but I learned a little bit about that tradition. Yeah. So when you come in to a restaurant that has a rich history and you're carrying on a tradition, are there certain things that make sense to modernize, but you wouldn't because you want to keep the old school charm of that? Like I would imagine you want, you don't want like a super modern dining room, right? You yeah. want it to, you want it to feel old school. And, and I, I, when we, I wanted people to be able to walk in the restaurant and even the ones who come every day to like, no, it's noticeably different the first day, but after the first day, forget about it. Yeah. And I, I feel that that's what we've really done. Um, We've made changes. Like you used to pay at the end of when you walked out. We used to give you a ticket. You sat down. You ate, and then you pay on the way out. The reasoning for that was back in the day there wasn't credit cards. Everybody mm-hmm. was paying cash, and it took a long time. And everyone came in basically at lunch hours. So it was super busy at the same time. But in today's world, you pay by nobody has cash, and then you're paying by credit card. And it's a tap, and you're done. So um, I got rid of the pay at the end because it was also hard for us to keep track of everybody yeah i mean when did that stop in the remodel so about eight years ago wow so eight years ago you paid on the way out yeah and so you could in theory or you order, didn't pay on the yeah, way out yeah order, i mean we had a lot of we, just peace yeah we had a lot of walkouts and yeah. and i i even had a camera system that would have the ticket in the person's face on it and i knew the people who were not paying and usually it was 
people that we knew. And wow. Like sometimes they would, they'd say that they, some people actually forgot. forgot. Yeah. Some people thought that someone picked up their check. Yeah. Um, Those your siblings. Put it on my tab. Yeah. <laughs> Dan's got it. But, but, but it's, it's just an easier process now. I mean, to get people to pay and then eat. And it, I mean, I wish we would have done it 25 years ago. Yeah. Do the siblings eat for free? Of course. Do their friends eat for free? No. How? <laughs> my, my, my friends don't eat for free. <laughs> it's, I love the clear, like, delineation yeah exactly (laughs) this episode is brought to you by scofflaw old tom gin a tasty versatile spirit created in chicago in 2012 the product was born out of a need for a bespoke iteration of the old tom style which is the slightly sweeter predecessor to london dry scofflaw old tom gin carries classic notes of orange peel juniper and coriander while balancing on a subtle floral edge thanks to the addition of osmanthus blossoms its elevated proof is suitable in cocktails or unadorned. Scoff Old Tom Gin. Complete your bar. All right, so you mentioned that, like, the cafeteria style is sort of antiquated at this point. So can you talk us through the process and the best practices for visiting Manny's? So when you walk in, you're going to grab a tray and your silverware right away. And... Um, since there's not a lot of cafeterias, a lot of pe- some people walk in and think that it's like an all-you-can-eat type thing. So all of a sudden they're taking like full plates of uh, beef stew, and then they get up and they get a bowl of soup, and then they get a side of mac and cheese, and then they're getting a pastrami sandwich, and then all of a sudden they get to the end and they're like, oh, "Wait, my food's seventy-five dollars." <laughs> so, so um, I, I mean, the key is is to like you don't have to know what you want, but just make sure you're asking what you want. Mm-hmm. So people going through the line, you, the nice thing is you get to see everything in front of you. Um, we have a lot of things for like all dietary things. So gluten-free vegetarian, there's, there's really stuff for everybody, but obviously we're very meat heavy at Manny's. Yeah. Have you added those dishes to accommodate recently or were those always there? We've had some that we've, we've put a little more stress on. So like we, we put a veggie Reuben in there because I, I felt that more people wanted to get a sandwich and not just a vegetarian meal. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes it vegetarian? It's just like a veggie burger. Okay. Uh, I mean, I recently I've really tried to to upgrade some of the stuff, so I was like working to try to put like maybe like a vegan meat on there and some vegan cheese. And one of my problems is I just can't even taste it myself like i'll i'll make one and then i'll be like oh, i'm not serving that i'm right so, there with you so yeah it, yeah you gotta it, test it, it with the hard. audience who's gonna be right and, and that's one of the my problems is that like when, when you're so involved in your own place you don't get out as much right so um like i want to i want to be able to offer things that other people have and i understand that's not what i want to eat but it might be what somebody else wants so i've had a little bit more open mind of things like that and mm-hmm. I mean, literally, I would have never ordered a veggie burger in my entire life. And then all of a sudden, I'm, like, taste testing veggie burgers. And I was <laughs> like, okay. The, and when I found one I liked, I was like, okay, we're going to use this veggie burger. And like, we at one time, we tried to make them ourselves. And I didn't like them because they were just not – I just felt like they weren't good for you, like, yeah. the way that we were making them. And I saw other places that, that had ones that were, like, pre-manufactured that were really good. So I was like, let's just do something like that. It's a little easier. Yeah. A couple summers ago, I guess before the pandemic, I did, like, a – Jewish deli tour and I tried to hit as many as I could in the area. Um, have you done something similar to, to kind of see what competition is? I guess you, you I don't know if it's competition cause you're in, right. I mean, you have the tradition, but you're also in like such a specific zone. Like do you go to like uh, Kaufman's up North? I honestly don't. Um, in Chicago, um, I, I just don't have the time to 
relax and go somewhere else. I think that's part of the problem. <laughs> when I'm on vacation, though, I always check out delis. Yeah. So, so like if I'm in L.A., New York. Um, you going to Langer's, Canters. Canters. I, I'm a, I like Langer. Like, Langer's is so good. Langer's has some of my favorite pastrami. That's so, where so I, I like grew that. Up. Canters is good, too. Um, that that was like my first time ha- having late night deli because obviously I, I uh, didn't co- ever come to work intoxicated. So <laughs> when, I, when I was visiting my friends, like one in the morning, we're like, okay, we're going to go to Canners. I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I was That's like, I wish what, I could do that. It's blocks from where I grew up. Yeah. So, but it, yeah, I, I've always, it's not that I, like I didn't want to try the ones in Chicago as much. It was just like. I'm so busy and, and working. I was like, that's the last thing I want to eat when I'm on my way home from work is stop and eat a sandwich from another deli. Yeah, you know, right. Back in the day, Kaufman's used to actually wholesale their bread. That's what they started at was a bakery. Mm-hmm. And we used to buy bread from them. So, like, like we have relationships with people. It's not that, like, we're like, oh, I hate you. You're my competition. It's like, I don't really think of anyone like that in Chicago. I, yeah. I'd almost prefer that there be more delis because then – more people understand what our food is and why it costs the price it is. And, yeah. and where's your bread from now? Um, right now it's from, um, 3d baking. That's who's making our bread for us. It's 3d printed bread. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're a little bit hesitant. To oh, well, so <laughs> actually you have to edit it. <laughs> yeah. No, we had yeah, it. Don't yeah. tell people it was 3d. <laughs> no, it's no. So we, we bought from the same bakery for a really long time. And during the pandemic, they decided to shut down their fresh bread side. Mm. So, and it was a big thing for the, the industry, not just the deli business, but for everyone, they were so big in Chicago and they, huh. they, they really produce great products. So all of a sudden at the same time, everyone in Chicago is looking Scrambling. for yeah, yeah. They're all trying to get someone in like, the bakeries couldn't even keep up because they didn't even have enough employees at the same time. And yeah. so it caused a big mess. And we were fortunate that we found someone who had like some great products and there, we didn't skip a beat from it. So we're very lucky. You must be a pretty giant account for them. We buy a lot of bread. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're very nice to me. So, yeah, that's cool. So being a staple in Chicago's, culture i guess for so long are you ingrained with uh like the sports teams what are some of the events like how do you uh, interact with the community um we're just we don't really reach out and try to do too much we're, we're just whenever somebody needs something like most of the stuff that we try to reach out and do are are more charitable driven than mm-hmm. trying to help people who who can't get stuff themselves so like I'm not really big into just bringing food over to like the bulls because they're oh, the bulls. Yeah. It's like I, um, I've always been a fan of like all the sports teams and that kind of stuff. And obviously, when the Sox were in the World Series, um, it was awesome for me. A lot of their owners were customers of ours, so uh, I was like, "Hey, I need tickets," and they took care of me right away. So nice. that's pretty that, cool. That, that stuff was fortunate, but yeah. um, I don't know. We we've always just been around and and people have always come to us so which is kind of a much better feeling than having to ask for stuff all the time yeah definitely so you grew up in it obviously you saw your dad put up 100 hour weeks or whatever routine lots of work how do you feel like you're doing balancing work life versus how your dad did i'm trying um i it's definitely a, a very hard balance. I mean, you definitely feel like you want to be there more at times, and but you also want to be with your family. And you, I, I feel like I put together a good team of people that that help and look after the business. And I mean, if you ask my dad, he's nothing's as good as me being there, him being there. But <laughs> um, 
I'm confident. I mean, like Mother's Day was was yesterday, and I was out with my whole family, and I didn't work. And and to have something like that is fortunate because my dad would have never done something like that. And also, like this year, my my two boys are on the same baseball team, and. I coached my older one when I was still living in the city, and I was like, hey, I'm going to coach you this year because it's the only year I'm ever going to say I can get to your practices in 15 minutes from work. Mm -hmm. And this year I was like, you know what? Like, I really want to do this. This It's the only time they're ever going to be on a team together like this that I can coach. So I'm going to coach this year, and I'll make sure I'm home. So What positions do they play? um, They're both pitching. Okay. And uh, my older one plays shortstop and third base, and my younger one plays, like, outfield and first base. And do you cater team snack? Um, they're always asking me to bring home sandwiches. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we always got Dairy Queen like, if our team won. We go wow, Dairy Queen, which was cool. sweet when it was good for my dad because my dad always coached our team too. And uh, my first year we sucked, so he had to take us out for Dairy Queen like two times. And then the next year we were undefeated, so we were going to Dairy Queen after every game. <laughs> we, and we, now in your adult life, you go to Culver's many times a week. That's so. right, and I'm still undefeated, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we did have a game on Saturday that was one of my older son's like best friends. We were playing him, and and he bet me a pound of corned beef that they were going to win. So, fortunately, I lost, and I have to bring him a pound of corned wow. beef. Wow, so, man! But it's a good win for him. Yeah. Now that be delivered sliced. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just the <laughs> he, he, one he, sandwich. He, he wanted it fresh too, so like he he uh, he has his mom go to Costco all the time and, and get him the corned beef, and he's like, "No, I want the fresh one from you guys." He's like, "Don't bring me the Costco one." He's like, "I get that regularly." <laughs> so, How old is this kid? Uh, ten. Well, what was the wager if you guys won? Um, he had to work the line. I think he was just going to order a pound of corned beef from me. <laughs> yeah, he's going to. So I was, was going to have yeah. a. I was just going to have a sale. So <laughs> he, he, he was he a walkout, dining ditcher. <laughs> yeah. uh, and do you live in Deerfield now? Yeah. Okay. So it's funny you live in the north, like the north suburbs, but you're a White Sox fan. Um, is that pretty? That's got to be uncommon. I think I just wanted to be different than my family growing up for a little yeah, bit. So my, they're all Cubs fans. My brothers were Cubs fans. Typical. Um, we always had a lot of the White Sox, more White Sox people coming into the restaurant. What makes yeah. sense, location wise. So, yeah. so we went to a lot of games for both teams growing up, and then I don't know, like the White Sox had like more of a bad boy image, and I wanted to be different than other people. So I'm like, I'm going to be a Sox fan, and then uh, I. I picked and then right when i started working full-time was when they won the world series like two years three years wow. later so it was like a, a great time yeah oh five yeah do you still call it comiskey of course <laughs> nice got to yeah danny and i went to a cubs game recently we did yeah yeah friend of the pod matt morris he was on the <laughs> wait list for 13 years to get tickets finally got season tickets and now he's living in alabama so right. he's like commuted <laughs> up i went to a bunch of games that is, yeah, yeah. sure. At it least was, they're playing well this year. Yeah, yeah. 45 and drizzling. <laughs> yeah, it was one we went. But it's sweet. We got to walk down and sit, like, right behind home plate. I have a rule that I don't go until June these days. Cause yeah, it's, it's like, smart. It's a good rule. Yeah. yeah. I got we a, still had fun, but we it was also a novelty for us. If we had if we went to games frequently, we would have not probably enjoyed being in 40-degree. Hot dog. <laughs> did, you, did you get one of those like thirty dollar beers in a baseball bat? Uh, not no, but we got. It was tempting, but I beers, so I held off. Tim treated us to some beers, old styles. That's right, the only way to go there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, what do you think's next for Manny's? Um. I mean, we're we're just still settling in. I mean, now that we're open for dinner, we opened up for dinner like right right about right before we remodeled. So it's been about ten years. Okay. Um. We're still working on that and. 
I mean, the business has changed so much in the last 10 years. It went from like all people who worked in the neighborhood and worked in the South and West sides and a lot of like people meeting up to being, um, more of like all Chicagoans coming from like a destination. Yeah. And, and we kind of changed our hours to make it more convenient for people. When we opened up on Sunday, it was like so many people were like, I want to come, but I can't come because I'm working and I don't have time to come when I'm working. So then I was like, okay, we have to open up on Sunday. So, I mean, I'm just not looking to like, if the right opportunity came, I would possibly do something else. But I'm, I, I just know that the, what we've been doing really works and there's a reason why we're still in business and so many other businesses have failed. And it's not that I'm scared to take a chance. It's like, I know what works and I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah, for sure. What does your ideal work week look like these days? What are the hours? Um, I get there about five thirty, and I'm there until like four thirty every day. Wow. And Is I, there still traffic at that hour coming down? No, it's great. Okay, that's cool. Except for today, they changed the traffic pattern. It wasn't fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they changed the traffic they, pattern, uh, yeah. and there was an accident in the express lanes on the way in, and it was uh, not fun. It's yeah, that me. diversity express exit is yeah. no longer, right? Right. But, oh. Yeah, it's Armitage to Ohio. But then there was like an, there was an accident like at North Avenue in the express lane, so normally I would just take that's the express so lane. But luckily, I was like listening to the news as I was about to get in there and said, don't take the express lanes. And I was like, <laughs> I went the other way, but it was like still bumper to bumper. So I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Wait, How? the accident was in the express lane. Yeah. Oh, brutal. And they, and they said the problem was, is the, they couldn't get the tow truck to where they were. Cause they oh. had to go all the way back. Cause you can't get in, in the middle anywhere. Oh. So it was great. Plan. It took them a long time to that move the, move the car. How's the drive back? Um, Horrible. miserable <laughs> yeah, it's a great time to catch up on the podcast that's what i was saying that's what podcasts are for these days <laughs> yeah, exactly uh i mean uh, they got to do something that's going to be a terrible four years and i can't take the train because i mean i just leave sometimes at random times and yeah you don't want to be on that schedule yeah it's not fun so how old are your kids now 10 8 and 5 10 8 and 5 and have any of them shown a proclivity for cooking or um, service not yet i mean they love to come in and eat eat a lot of candy that yeah. like, like <laughs> the, the candy first guys. times they came in, like we have a whole candy counter and they're just like handing candy out to people. I'm like, you know, that people have to pay for that stuff. <laughs> I was like, just cause you take it doesn't mean you can give it to share it with everybody. Yeah. They were selling it. They're yeah. increasing the bills. So, my, <laughs> one of my kids, we have like this old crane game from like early 1900s that used to be in Riverview park. Wow. And, uh, one of my sons just like saves up all his quarters and just like fills his pocket up and just sits in front of the machine for like a good two hours and just like wants to keep playing. I'm like, stop wasting your money. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets like a toy that we could have bought for like five cents. I'm like, uh. Do they all order the same stuff? Um, food wise? They actually eat better things than I would have eaten. Like, I feel like when I was younger, I would eat like maybe just like a little corned beef and that's it. And they, like my older one loves pastrami and yeah. he's like, bring me home so more pastrami. Good, yeah. And it's like that our the naval pastrami has a ton of fat in there. And like, I feel like I wouldn't eat fat until I was in like college. Maybe like, yeah. that's when I realized I was like, I don't want this filet. I want a ribeye. Yeah. I was like, give me, give me the fatty meat. And then, yeah. but the, my older son's just like, yeah, the pastrami is good. I mean, you gotta <laughs> turn him onto that veal breast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's swinging for the fences. Yeah. Well, if he's a pitcher, maybe not. <laughs> Before we get to the gratuity round, is there anything that you want to cover that we didn't cover? Um, I just, I, I think one of the greatest things about being in the business is being able to work with family. I mean, for the amount of times that my dad and I have fought, which is every day probably, mm -hmm. um, it, it's just like when you sit back and look at it, that's not what I think about. I think of like 
all the awesome, like how much I've learned and, and the, how grateful I am that I was able to do it with him. Um, and that's especially for this long, like his dad had passed away already. So he kind of had to just like do everything on his own. So it's, it's just like super amazing that like I can do this and I wanted to like almost like gift him the retirement. I was like, dad, go do something fun. I was like, do something before you can't do it anymore. Yeah. And it's just a, a great feeling to know that like, we work together for so long and we're still working together and he's not even there all the time. So it's, uh, it's, it just like has that part in me that's, that wants to keep it up and hopefully one of my kids will do it. And if not, I'll find someone else. Yeah. It's pretty special. Yeah. He left it in good hands. <clears throat> and then sorry to touch on something that Tim had said or a little bit earlier, like what does it mean to you to be, you know, firmly placed in the, you know, the kind of the greats in the Chicago culinary scene? I mean, I'm just, I don't even think of us like that. You know, I'm just doing my thing. And every time I hear it, I'm like, no, I'm like, we're just working just like everybody else is. And yeah. I mean, re in the last few years with the pandemic, there's been a lot of like chef get togethers in Chicago, like the culinary cooks groups and that kind of stuff. And looked up at those people and then like, Oh, they're fancy chefs and they, they work at places. But it's like, I go to these things and they just like talk about how great Manny's is. And I'm like, talk, I'm like <laughs> my place. I'm like, you guys are like award-winning chefs that like, yeah, yeah. And, and I know that like we have some great clientele and, and that kind of stuff, but that's like, I'd never thought of being known to chefs like that. You know, like those people are like, you, you eat one piece of something from the restaurant and there's like 20 flavors in it. And you're like, how the hell do they do that? But yeah. then these guys are like, Oh, I just want to go to Manny's. And it's like, yeah. You know? I mean, there's something to be said for perfecting a staple and having a tradition that's withheld the, the test of time. Right. So I, I, just, I, yeah. I, I think I never realized and I don't, I kind of take it for granted, like what we have and don't see the, how special it is because I'm there all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I mean, it's pretty awesome. Like when, when you hear these things from other people and I mean, I'm not going to, I don't let it go to my head and be like, Oh, we're so good. Like I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to work anymore. I'm like, that's why I'm here six, seven days a week. I'm yeah. <laughs> doing it. It's like, and you wouldn't do it if you didn't love it. Yeah. You have to love it to do it. Otherwise that's that's how you go out of business and uh, yeah <laughs> and uh outside of the pandemic and you know your first day having to fire someone when you were in charge any other crises that have come up during work that have stuck with you <sighs> i mean i feel like there's always something that that comes up i mean like this year it was a jewish holidays and the the first day of the jewish holidays i'm packing orders and all of a sudden the health inspector walks in and i'm like ah. Oh. Good time, and I literally said, "I'm like, can you come back another time?" And she laughed, and I was like, "I was like, no, I'm serious." I'm like, "I'm like, I promise you." She's like, "Well, I can walk through myself," and I'm like, "No, I'm like, I'll stop packing orders." <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I mean, there's always things like that, but are those always your busiest days, Jewish holidays? Um, our busiest day of the year is actually St. Patrick's Day. Oh yeah. Um, we get a ton of catering. Everyone obviously wants corned beef in Chicago, right. um, and then the Jewish holidays. But I mean. Everybody in Chicago is Irish, so it's uh, a. Yeah. Everybody wants a piece of it. So. Is there? What's the slowest time? Um, I would say like mid July, hmm. like February and mid July. I mean, yeah, Feb for us. I mean, yeah, I mean, w people want hot meals, so in the winter, um, we're still doing pretty well, but mid July, like when there's festivals going on yeah, and that enough. kind of stuff, like yeah. we just don't have the people that want to come in for it like we the last few years we've closed on the like for the fourth for like multiple days just to like give our staff a break and to mm -hmm. just recoup a little bit and yeah. 
this year was a little weird because that NASCAR thing is like July 1st and 2nd. And <laughs> I feel like everyone has to drive right by us. So I was like, I can't close during that time. Yeah. I, was like, I was like, we have to be open when the tourists come. So well, Has your dad had a chance to slow down and enjoy retirement at all? I think so. I mean, he was pretty worried about the pandemic. Um, yeah. So, so he kind of like stayed to himself. But now they started traveling a little bit and he's enjoying himself, I think. Nice. Cool. All right. Let's hit him with the gratuity round. Let's do it. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Bronca USA. Question, Danny. What's your question, Tim? My question is, what is in Fernet Bronca? What are the ingredients? It's hmm, a tough question right there. <laughs> it's a 170-year-old recipe, and it is a closely guarded family secret. Okay. There are 27 distinct components to the recipe, various herbs, botanicals, and spices, and I don't know all of them. Do you know some of them? You know, I do know some of them. Okay. We know there's aloe, gentian, chamomile, angelica, chincona, colombo root, iris, saffron, peppermint, myrrh, and Chinese rhubarb. Okay. But if you want to find out all of the ingredients, you're going to have to go to one person. There's one person who knows? That's right. Count Bronca. Count Bronca. That's a real person you can That's a confirm. real person. Okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess we got to get him on the pod. I guess so. All right. Well, back to the pod. Dan, what is your death row meal? My death row meal would definitely be a dry-aged porterhouse. Nice. Very nice. From anywhere in particular? <clears throat> I recently had it at Bavette's, and that was like... Yeah, like, pretty I, stellar. To be honest, the first time I went to Bavette's, I wasn't that big of a fan. And then um, everyone kept talking about it, being like, oh, this place is so good and so good. And then all of a sudden, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, <laughs> I went there, and I thought it was kind of average. And then I, literally the last time I went, it was like, I have to say, it was like one of the best steaks I've ever had. Yeah. So I've been, I've literally like every day I wake up, and I'm like, I want to go back. <laughs> Solid answer. What is your Manny's order? Um, I'm definitely a, a pastrami guy. So just simple pastrami and rye. Normal rye or seeded rye? Seeded rye. Okay. We're from Chicago here. There you go. <laughs> we, we, we want some flavor. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite hidden gem restaurant? I'm a big fan of La Scarola, even though it's not so hidden anymore. Yeah. yeah. But um, they, they just have, like, good food. I mm -hmm. mean, that's it kind of reminds me of us is that the food's just good there. So, yeah. And a good and, vibe. Yeah. I mean, nice those, guys, those guys are always there running their own place, too. And mm -hmm. um, it's a fun atmosphere. I mean, sometimes it's a little tight in there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh i mean they just have good food so favorite fast food favorite i, I like mcdonald's all right what's the order uh quarter pounder cheese fries diet coke classic uh what is your favorite cocktail um i swear i'm kind of 50 50 but i like recently i've been more on uh vodka rocks with blue cheese olives okay i like it i'm just a simple person like i don't yeah. I don't like too fancy. He likes the classics. Follow-up question, Danny? Um, no, like let's say if you were at like the Violet Hour or <clears throat> or like Aviary or something, is there something, is there a profile of a cocktail that would draw you to order it? Like a special occasion where you're you're going outside of the vodka rocks with the blue cheese olives. That is a special occasion drink, Danny. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine, I'm not, yeah. I'm not that big of a drinker, so. Yeah, all good. Um, 
honestly, I get so intimidated at those kind of places that I don't know what the hell to order. Yeah, that's fair really, enough. Really, like the the problem. I mean, I ended up getting like a like a bourbon on the rocks or something like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'm literally intimidated at those places that, yeah. I, that and I'm so afraid. Like, okay, this drink's like 35 bucks. I'm like, what do I order that I'm gonna like it? And I'm, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to like order something and then not like it. Like, I've never sent like a drink back somewhere. Like, yeah, I mean, he's a spirits guy, Danny. Yeah. So I feel you with the not sending stuff back. My wife's always like, "That's the wrong thing." Like, just say it. Danny, like, could you nah. send this back for me? <laughs> yeah, no, she has no. She has no problem sending stuff. Back, I mean, if but food, I just if, cannot. I can't do it. If food's not right, I don't have a problem with it. But like. <laughs> I mean, just because I ordered a drink and I don't like the taste of the drink, there's probably nothing. There's nothing wrong with it. No, probably. but they're yeah. happy to make you a new drink if yeah. you don't like it. I mean, we are, but yeah, Danny loves getting returned drinks. Yeah, yeah or, <laughs> that's part of the business. No, you yeah. want yeah, hospitality. You want them to be happy. happy. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Uh, all right, what unexpected trivia category would you dominate? Oh, yeah. Not good at trivia. Probably like. Deerfield Little League. Yeah, White Sox 2005 team. Yeah, maybe season. maybe like 90s Bulls basketball. I was a big Bulls fan. Nice. Yeah. Any Bulls players coming to Manny's? I would assume so. Um, yeah, I mean, we got a lot of them. Uh, for some reason, it's always like the older guys. I think the young <laughs> the, the, Like, they, they start coming in, I think, like, once they retire for some reason. I, yeah. But we, we've always had a steady stream of guys that a lot of it's word of mouth. Yeah. And uh, we used to have some of the security guards from the United Center actually that used to come in and they would like order food for like different players all the hmm. time. Did you get the guy from Last Dance who was <laughs> playing? playing no, nice. but I wish that guy came. <laughs> so the guy that used to come in, Dude, well, that is he, so he always wore like a newsy kind of hat hmm. and he was always the security guard that was like right behind the Bulls bench for like 40 years. Like wow. I think it was the same guy and he was the nicest guy he'd come in but then he'd he he never even asked for anything for free. He was just like, oh, he's like, this one's for this guy, this one's for this guy. He'd like have us write a, the names on the top of the sandwiches, and he'd just come in and buy like ten sandwiches. I'm sure he probably like mm-hmm. got paid a ton of money to bring him the food. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. And um, speaking of that, like, was there ever a time you were starstruck with someone coming into the restaurant? Definitely when Obama came in. Oh okay. yeah, uh-huh. I remember that. Oh. Well, I remember, like, when he came as president, it was right. a big deal. I mean, he came in before, and, like, yeah. it, w- it was different. But, like, when he came in as president, and it, it was obviously, we I think we had, like, 50 members of the media when he came in. But it, it was just, like, the way that he talked, and, like, he, he just had an aura around him that, like, I had, like, goosebumps just from, like, talking to him. And I'm not normally like that around anybody, and I'm not the kind of guy that has to be like, oh, I want to go meet that guy. And mm-hmm. I'm, But he was just, like, so well, like, you could just tell he knew what he was doing. Yeah, he's on another and, level. Yeah, and I mean, whether you... And I I would get in arguments with customers. I'd be like, whether you like the guy's politics or not, he's just like, knows how to handle himself. I'm like, yes. Yeah. I was like, if everyone knew how to do that, I'm like, I might like somebody else, but I was like, he just is presidential. Like, yeah. like you had that feeling. Like, hmm. And then Clinton came in too, and he was actually super nice. And like, I was worried because he's like a Southern guy, like... He's been through a lot. Like, is he going to want to even talk to anybody? And he was just like, he came in, he's, the restaurant was pretty full, and he was just like, hey, let me eat my food. I'm really hungry, and then I'll come and say hi to everyone. He literally <laughs> ate his food, walked around, shook hands with every person, took pictures of everybody in the restaurant. Just That's awesome. Awesome. Super nice. After his presidency? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had been through the ringer, too. So I was just like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, like, if I was him, I was like, I'm so, and, and at the time we were, it was before we remodeled, and we sold cigars, and he was like buying all these cigars from us and everything. And I was like, hey, I was like, I mean, he, he, I know where this is going. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was like, what is he doing? I yeah. was like, 
I was like, is he really just coming here to buy cigars? And uh, <laughs> yeah, the rest yeah. is just a show for him to buy cigars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Smoking he had a mirrors. lot of health problems too. And I'm like, he's uh. still buying cigars. I'm like, <laughs> so he was super nice. Like I, I was just super, really surprised. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, you see a lot of celebrities and stuff and they just get, they don't even want to talk to people. And he yeah. was just like, let me eat my food. And then I'll come say hi to everyone. I was like, oh yeah, he's yeah. going to slip out the back. And I was like, I've seen that before. That's usually what I do. I'm like, you guys just please let me enjoy my meal. <laughs> yeah, and then I'll shake your hand. Yeah. Let me finish my butter burger and then I'll come around to the tables and say hello to everybody. <laughs> let me finish my fourth custard of the day and then I'll shake your hand. What was the security detail like for Obama's visit? Did they come before? Um, so it's funny that now, ever since like his detail is in whenever the he doesn't come in all the time when he's in town but their detail does oh just so, in case he decides no he they come no, to they, eat because they oh. like it yeah because <laughs> yeah, oh. like a lot of them are from dc so they're not even local. Mm. like they do have a local group and that's i think that's how clinton ended up coming in is that he had like local detail and he said he was hungry they were at mccormick place and he was like i want to eat something on the way back to O'Hare. and i mean obviously the to go past us to go to O'Hare is like makes sense yeah but um, we get a lot of Secret Service that that just coming to eat, and sometimes I'm like, are they gonna be here soon, or what's happening? Because <laughs> yeah. when he came in that, like when he was elected, we we didn't even know, and like literally, a press showed up, and they were like, yeah, we're supposed to be uh, here for the President Obama. I'm like, what? And I'm like, he's coming here. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. So do you they, buy? Uh, did you buy his lunch? No, he paid. Wow. No, the, the American taxpayers paid. <laughs> uh, all right. To what do you attribute your success? I think our su- success is um, mostly our customers and my staff is that we're fortunate that we've had multiple generations of both and, yeah. and that they've really done a great job of our staff has always done a great job taking care of our customers, but really the customers that have come back and word of mouth is that, I mean, as an independent restaurant, like we're a big name, but you can't advertise when you're one restaurant in t- today's world. It just costs too much. Mm-hmm. So we get so much business from word of mouth that like, I mean, I literally have no advertising budget and we get new people all the time. So it's yeah. definitely word of mouth. And obviously people can Google you and find you like that. But really our customers are awesome at like, I mean, every day look, I get an email, five-star review, five-star review. And it's like, Obviously, we get the ones that I'm like, uh, mm-hmm. like I'm not happy about those. But the people who just like go out of their way to to like help spread the word and and let people know that how much they love us is is really amazing. Yeah. And I mean, even the like the social media love, like when people are commenting and talking to us and less hearing stories from people, it's like that. That's why we're successful is that these people want to come back and share the memories that they've had growing up and share it with someone else. Yeah, that is really cool. Uh, what is something that bars or restaurants do that might annoy you? Put that surcharge on the on the bills. <laughs> oh, the uh, three it. or four. Yeah, I hate it. Yeah, just put the fees in the in the food and charge them a little more. Yeah, tack <laughs> it on to the food. Yeah. All right, and then our very last question: What is the best thing about Chicago's dining scene? The diversity, for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean. You can go eat in almost any neighborhood and have an incredible meal. And obviously there's neighborhoods that you would never go to or don't know anything about. But if you do your research or hear word of mouth of something, there's so many great places. And I've even heard from, like, my employees that, like, they've told me, like, 
this is the best place you got to go do it. And then also, like, two years later, it's, like, number one taco stand in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, I've been going there. Like, my, my employees have been going there for 25 years. Mm. And they told me about it. And I didn't know anyone even knew about it. So yeah, that's um, cool. I, I just think the diversity of, like, the chefs and the restaurants and, and the neighborhood people, like, keeping these places going is is pretty amazing. And there's not – it's not all fast food, which is <laughs> – yeah. <laughs> You know, it's, yeah, I, I, I like when people open up like a little bit elevated fast food. Cause it's, I mean, I'm not a fancy like 10 course meal person. So, mm-hmm. um, th- that's kind of like my thing is like, if it's simple, good, um, I don't mind paying for it if it's good, but simple food is what I like. Yeah. Executed well. All right. Well, that was the last question. Dan, so thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And that concludes our conversation with Dan Raskin of Manny's Delicatessen. Thanks for listening. And remember to check us out on Instagram at JoinersPod for exclusive content, cocktails, reels, throwback photos. Maybe even drop us a review if you're so inclined. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. As always, we are accepting positive reviews. (laughs) All negative reviews, please email to us at JoinersPod at gmail.com. We will write any wrong. We also take tips on who you'd like to hear from in the industry. That's right. And as always, this episode was produced by Matt and Teo Haddock, reels by Joe Guzzo, and music by Captain Cuts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.